Today, we're going to be having a conversation with Daniel, and he and I had a conversation on LinkedIn. There were some job opportunities that I wanted to connect him with, and he had some questions about trainings, different online classes, certificates that can help people become more marketable or upskill in the cannabis industry. So he took a class at a organization called Green Cultured. Now, I have no affiliation with them. I don't know them. I really don't know anything about them. So part of this is going to be a discovery for me to find out what his experience with them has been. And then we'll go through the normal routine of what his background is, what his interest is, what it, where he'd like to have his career grow. And uh, we'll see if we can help him start that, start that journey. It's really encouraging to see that he has taken some steps and pursued some form of, of higher education, <laughs> higher education. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Anyway, um, I'm always very skeptical of even some of the university programs. And the reason that I'm skeptical is because cannabis is something that can be taught in theory, but it really needs to be learned in practical application. It's one thing to, to say, okay, well, this is what a spider might looks like. Here's a blown up picture of one. And it's a totally different thing to be in the garden and spot a spider mite and understand what they look like, how small they are, what the telltale signs are, and what, what those telltale signs indicate as far as the infestation level. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate of practical applications. So if this was school, there would need to be labs. And to my knowledge at this point, None of the universities and none of the online certificates offer any practical applications. So I'm, uh, I'm skeptical and I'm skeptical because there are, there are people out there that may be well-intended that do not have the practical experience working in the cannabis industry. Like, like my team and I have been for the last decade or more without that practical experience, then how can they teach people? I mean, it would be like telling someone how to cook an egg and not knowing how to cook an egg. So it's best to learn from people that have been there. And typically the best way to do that is just get in the door and get a job at a grow facility and then develop your, develop your knowledge that way. And, and for the people that are in states that have caregiver programs that allow you to, to do home cultivation, that's really the best way to do it. So my advice to you is start growing some weed <laughs> legally, illegally, of course, follow the rules and um, go to your local grow shops and ask a lot of questions. And if you can try to get a job at a grow shop, those are going to be some of the best ways that you can get experience as far as in cultivation. And of course, Jorge Cervantes and Ed Rosenthal have some fantastic books. You can just Google them and buy them, read them cover to cover, highlight them, take your Take the questions that you have and go and talk to your local grow shops and, uh, and develop your knowledge base. Also, I am not a huge fan of Facebook groups or online groups because there's too much debate and conjecture. There's a thousand different ways to grow a plant and some, you know, a thousand of them might be right, but they may not be right for you. And they may not, sometimes the advice that you're getting in some of these chat rooms it may not be the best thing for you. 
But more often than not, what ends up happening is a is an endless debate of, oh, I did this. I've been doing this for 20 years. Bah, 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 bah. I'm the smartest. I'm the best. Do what I say. I'm the daddy. And it's just like, oh, my God, can you just tell me what to do here? Like, So try to find straight, direct, pragmatic answers. And that's typically at your local grow shop. So grow shops, Ed Rosenthal, Jorge Cervantes, and then try to find a place where you can where you can grow your own plants and I start to develop your your knowledge base that way. Okay, well, it is time to call Dan. I'm really looking forward to this. I really want to know about his experience with with this company Green Green Cultured. Again, don't know him, don't know anything about him. I have decided that uh, I'm going to because I get solicited by some of these companies. I'm going to start opening the hood on some of these curriculums. And what I'll do is I'll create a, a, a document that will give some pros and cons of different, different classes. The last thing that I want is for people to go spend their hard-earned money, especially in this coronavirus time, trying to get a job in the essential cannabis industry and get taken by some company that says, this is the gold standard of getting a job in the cannabis industry. It's the most widely recognized. You need it. And spend any money you know, whether it's a dollar or 2,700 bucks and get a certificate that to be honest with you, the employers probably don't care about whatsoever. And so we're going to dive in. I'm not docking Dan whatsoever. I, the thing that I love most about anybody, the thing that will give someone a leg up over, over the competition more than anything is effort. So the fact that he's putting in the effort to do this is, is commendable. And that will put him just the effort alone will put him in a better competitive position. So let's get into it. Let's call Dan and dive into this conversation. If you like the podcast and want to support the works that we're doing, then you can head over to ourcannabis.org and follow the donation page. Every dollar goes into helping people in the cannabis community land jobs that will, that will make them have a higher standard of life, have a meaningful, direct, tangible impact on, on themselves and their communities and their, and their families. So here we go. Let's dive in and get on the phone with Dan. Hello, this is Dan. Hey, Dan, it's Matt Hoffman. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you? You know, it's another day at the office for me, so I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Same here. My office gets to be my back or front yard, so I've just been kind of soaking in this beautiful weather, you know? I do, yeah. I've uh, gotten in the habit of going over to Lake Michigan. I ride my Harley over to Lake Michigan, go for a swim, read for about an hour, come back and now I'm sitting in a spare bedroom in my house that is converted into our studio. So yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm taking advantage of it while I can. I, to be honest with you, I kind of like it. It's, it seems like a pretty leisurely lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and furthermore, on that note, my budget, I, you know, I'm, I, I can't believe how much money I'm saving not driving all over the place and not buying lunches and coffees and dinners and breakfast and all that other stuff. It's like, Oh, cool. Well, I got a couple extra bucks yeah. in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh that's, that's lemons and in, in, that's uh lemons and a lemonade. That's what that's called. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for participating in the podcast. It's really helpful. And, you know, they say that if you have a question, then there's probably 10 or 15 other people that have the same question. Yeah. 
So yeah, I want to thank you for participating and I've got some boilerplate questions for you, but uh, I, I saw your latest LinkedIn post that you are receiving your certificate from Green Cultured. Uh, yeah, Green Cultured. Yeah. So give me a little bit of your background. Like how old are you? What's your involvement been in the cannabis industry? And why do you want yeah. to work in weed? Okay. Well, um, I'm 40. I have been in Kalamazoo for the last 20 years. Um, I grew up on the east side of the state, uh, between Port Huron and Detroit. My dad was a, a kind of a gorilla outdoor grower, you know, the kind of guy that threw stuff out in the cornfield back yeah, in the yeah. day. Um, you know, and uh, I wasn't privy to it or anything like that until I got much older and he kind of explained it to me. But at that point, I was kind of puffing. I was going to Grand Valley. I wasn't really digging the culture there. I had some friends in Kalamazoo. I came down here. There was a huge cannabis culture at the time. I got involved with that, you know, as far as I guess what we would, what I call, what a lot of people call the black market, but I like to call the legacy market, mm. you know, um, nice. it, you know, worked in that realm for a while. When we finally got medical, I applied for my paperwork. I have uh, a couple of physical things. I have rotator cuff tendonitis from swimming in high school. And I was shot in the chest um, in Kalamazoo and have metal bands all through my sternum, which can be pretty painful at times, just because my sternum was pretty much completely shattered. So I went with that route, got my caregiver card. I've done indoor growing, outdoor growing. Uh, I managed uh, the Horizon Hydroponics in Kalamazoo. I recently worked at a provisioning center in Kalamazoo. Um, I'm just trying to stay within the industry and continue relevancy. You know, I'm one of those guys that kind of worked in the legacy market because I didn't have the schooling to do the thing, right? And now that the market has totally changed, I'm seeing like a lot of people with the college degrees that normally maybe wouldn't have gone to this industry getting plugged in. So I'm taking the courses and things like that and, and, effort to kind of polish the resume and, you know, show them, show these people that I am willing to do the work. If that, the book work, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, somebody with your background, most people wouldn't even bother. You know, I, I said in my, my preamble before I, before I called you, I said, you know, the biggest thing for me, and I think for most employers is effort. It, having a skill set and knowing what one's doing is fantastic, but it boils down to effort. And I said that the fact that you were taking these classes, whether they were good classes or bad classes, who knows? I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked into it yet, but the fact that you're putting forth the effort says a ton about you. And I think that's, that's fantastic. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, the world is ran by the people that show up and the people that put effort in it. It's not that hard, uh, <laughs> but it's, so true. it's shocking how many people just don't, just won't put in the work. It's, it's right. I'm telling you, it's, I see it all the time and, uh, you know, you can bring a, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So yeah. yeah, but you know, your background's very interesting. I, I went to Grand Valley as well and I ended up leaving for cultural reasons. And then I worked at Horizon as well. And, oh, uh, did you? Yeah, I did. Um, God. 
when was that? Probably 2013-ish, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was there for about a huh. year. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. And it, it the reason I left was it just um I was losing money going in. So uh, I, yeah, yeah, I mean yeah, so uh I it just I couldn't afford to be there anymore. But yeah, the, right, right. The, the education that I got from that place was I mean for me it was foundational. It's it, it's Yeah, I love John and Bridget for that. Yeah, I do too. Um I love John and Bridget for that. I actually got my position there because I was a customer. Yeah, me too. And um, Bridget knows some of my friends from Cadillac because I'm one of the guys that, in the beginnings of it, helped put together Hoxieville Music Festival site. Okay. So she was like, well, this guy runs volunteers. This guy is able to run that site and put together the Harvest Gathering site and run a bunch of those volunteers. Let's give this guy a shot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I love John and Bridget for that. I love I love how they are able to kind of look outside the box and look for opportunity with people. Definitely. And, you know, I, I've said this so many times publicly, and I'm just going to keep saying it. John is... John's true calling is not as an engineer, which is, which is formal training. It's not as a hydroponic shop owner, which he's done for almost 20 years. He's a natural teacher. The, I, yeah. Oh my God. We'd come in every day at like 7 a.m. <laughs> because uh, they, they, they had to let an entire staff go. They, they were, people were stealing. So John had to let the oh. entire staff go at the Grand Rapids store. I ended up just bugging the shit out of him until he gave me a job. Well, so he brought in... <laughs> Yeah, he brought in an entire staff. And so, you know, we didn't know anything. We were just kind of amateur. All of us were just amateur growers. And so we would go in every morning at seven and drink coffee and eat donuts and and go through a PowerPoint slides that he, I mean, the dude's got, he's got curriculum and it's crazy. So I I lived for our monthly trainings, man. It was, it was every day for like three months, every day, every morning for three months. We did that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it. Um, for me, it made it so I could flex on people with technical knowledge because that's what happened to me every morning. I mean, I felt like my brain would drip out of my ear, you know, come 8.30 when we'd have to start getting ready to just open the store. I would just, I'd, I'd be so mentally fatigued. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> but Right. Well, and the thing about the whole industry too, um, as far as on the growing side is everything, like even when I was there, oh, geez six or eight years ago, you know, everything was still changing so quick with like a lot of the deep water culture and things like that. You also have to be knowledgeable because you're constantly treading a thin line between the customer is always right (laughs) and trying to get the customer over to being right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) There were, there were people that would come in and I would go, look, man, just buy this. Just do what I say. Okay. Just, just do what I say. Just trust me. Do what I say. Go and do this and come back in a week and a half. And then tell me that I was wrong. Please walk in this door and throw it in my face. And it never happened. Right. It never happened. People would come back in and they right. would go, Oh, you know what? That really made a difference. And I go, okay, cool. Well, you know, you trusted me for an inch. How about a couple feet now? No, let's, right. let's try the, you know, it took time to build that rapport because at the time, 
and still now, but not nearly like it was at the time being a, a full-time caregiver was a, a very viable source of revenue that a lot of families subsisted on. So, Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I made a pretty, I mean, I'm, I mean, I made a pretty tasty living off of uh year round here running a three ton AC for my grower, right. a two ton for my house and paying those bills and, and, you know, making, m- making money on the deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I did pretty well on a couple of outdoor crops up North, you know, at a friend's place. Like you could, you could do all right there for, for quite a while. And, you there, know? and there was protections there. There were protections within, yep. within the MMMA and, uh, and, and it was, it was gray, but it was protected. And then as, as legislation moved forward and the protections were eroded, then it wasn't so protected and, and, it's, not, <laughs> and it's not protected now. And it's, it's something where growers and caregivers, that's who I am. Those are my people. Growers are super fucked because it's something where guys are making, I was, I was taught that if you don't make a hundred grand a year as a caregiver, then go and get a job at office max or something, because this isn't going to work out. And right. And, and that's, to be honest, that's, that's the minimum wage. But the thing mm-hmm. is, is the way it was five years ago is not the way it is today. And the caregivers that are still out there doing it, bless their hearts, I love them, but they're dinosaurs. And we've got to get these guys to come into the fold and participate in some sort of a legalized market. Also, on, right. the, other, on the other hand, we've got to get these employers to understand that they're hiring at more often than not people at journeyman level and at, and in some cases master levels. And those right. people have got to get paid nearly what they've, what they've been getting paid. So a guy that's making, yeah, you know, and yeah, I, I actually had that argument with someone on uh, LinkedIn not too long ago where um, it was a younger guy. Again, I'm 40. I don't think I, I don't consider myself an old schooler because like I've seen old schoolers that, yeah. you know, are pushing 60 to 80 years old. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, I consider myself kind of that mid wave. Right. Here is this guy that's fresh out of college and he's running like, or he is the CEO of a company that ha- that's vertically integrated on the East coast And he's like, how do you even respond to somebody in an interview that says they've had 20 years in the industry when the industry has only been around for like three years? Right, right. And I'm like, you say thank you, dude. Right, exactly. And then you ask them what what they contributed to like the community, to their community and to their family and how you can help them transition into this new market. Right. Like you, you, you say thank you because without people like me who were willing to like go hustle weed in a bodega parking lot, <laughs> like without people like me who 15 years ago decided to, they were going to drive truck from West Coast back to Michigan, without people like me who turned on lights in their basement and invested like $20,000 in like a 20 foot by 20 foot room at the time, you wouldn't even have this opportunity. Like this wouldn't even be a thing. And as a matter of fact, guys like you at this, at that are fresh out of college 
looked at guys like me when we were getting cuffed and stuffed and were saying, what a loser. Right. Well, maybe if you would have just worked a real job, <laughs> yeah. you know, and <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's a, it, it's difficult because it's almost a little insulting. My end, I have to very much tread that thin line and because it is a business and it is an industry. And I have to recognize the fact that as a business and as an industry, just like Pepsi or Coke or Procter and Gamble, they're going to hire people with degrees and consumers and consumer package goods. Yeah. Well, and then that's definitely part of it. I think that that's coming. What I'm seeing now is a lot of the companies are just hiring core competencies. They they need people to come in and make the Coca-Cola before they can right. even brand and bottle it. And so I think that, and, and I agree that it's, it's definitely a razor's edge on both sides. I'm in the middle. You know, I'm, I've, I work with job seekers and I work with the employers and try to avoid the chest thumping on both sides because I, right. and it's like, okay, well, how do we demonstrate value as, as a veteran of the war on drugs and someone who's put time in, how do we demonstrate value without being offensive or off-putting to someone who's come from a different, different path? And then how do we take that person from, from a more traditional pathway ownership? Mm -hmm. And how do we make them understand that this, this, what this renegade over here knows what they're doing, that they are growers are typically ferociously independent. And that's, I think that's the biggest draw to being a grower is nobody really tells us what mm -hmm. to do. And so how do we, how do we interface these two worlds together and build it on the common ground of respect? And right. there are some people that can play ball and there are some people that can't. And that's right. just the nature of it. But I think the, the things that you're doing, again, you know, I, I haven't talked to anybody with your experience or your time in the water that's still taking classes, that's still doing things. I think that's, I think that's unique. And an employer needs to see that. And they need to recognize that. And, you know, how do we take something that we were never supposed to talk about, that we were never supposed to to take pictures of that we were supposed to be clandestine and hide from the world. And now how do we take that skill set and flip it into a resume to where someone could look at it and go, this is a guy I definitely need to talk to. And then furthermore, how do we train the human resources people or the hiring managers to recognize someone's value on that piece of paper? I mean, a traditional human resources person isn't going to know half the stuff that's on a resume based based on a grower's experience because their human resources and working in a cannabis company hasn't been around for five years. So there's right, not, there's right. not that I depth of knowledge. I, yeah, it's it's being able to understand that some of these previous like legacy market skills are transferable to this new industry. Yeah. Right? Like like everybody that was, well, I shouldn't say everybody that was out there like me. There are a lot of people out there like me who have these soft skills ready to go. Like we have a relationship building experience, right? Yeah. Because like if we didn't have relationship building experience, then we wouldn't have been able to make 
anywhere from 50 to uh, 150 K a year out of a 20 by 20 foot box. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and especially in an, in a market where, like you said, we weren't able to talk about it. Like this wasn't an open thing. Like you're not necessarily a prescription drug guy who's taken the doctor out to lunch. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're meeting the dude in a garage or a Lowe's parking lot or whatever. And like, you're putting your, you're, you're developing relationships with people where you are legitimately putting your life in their hands. And there is a lot of trust yeah. that has to be built and developed in those relationships. And that is like an immediately transferable skill. Yeah. Right I, on into sales. I, yeah, and I, it's, I agree it's, completely. <laughs> yeah. It's overlooked by this idea that the industry has only been around for a year, two years, three years, right? Right. No, this thing has been going on for, <laughs> you know, since the 50s, man. You know, before that, this isn't something new. This is just a new polish and shine. Yeah. And we've seen. Yeah, you you've seen this, especially in the grow shop. I've seen this where and we're seeing this now where the corporate cowboys were going to ride in here and they were going to teach everybody how to do marijuana. And the one mm -hmm. thing that I've seen more than anything in the cannabis industry is the amount of epic failures from the would be Jesuses of the world. The the oh. the, the new product that's going to oh. revolutionize your garden, the light that's going to solve all your problems. Hey, I'm here if as your I, personal messiah. Like it never works. It never if works. If I am a, in the in the hydroponics industry, if I am able to increase my yield by twenty five percent and shorten my time by ten percent with every additive that I add, then shouldn't I just be able <laughs> to put a seed in the ground yeah. and like yield ten pounds today? Right. Right. Yeah. Like, like through the law of big numbers, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. And and as far as people go, I had a couple things where I spoke when I was working at Horizon. It was the big caregiver boom. Like mm -hmm. everybody who had a small grow was teaming up with a friend that had a pole barn oh, yeah. or was building a pole barn or, you know, you know, we were talking about the legalization licensing at that time and they were trying to figure out the tiers and everybody was getting, was already talking to their township. Right. I had a couple of people who cashed in a Roth IRA to build a pole barn and came in and dropped 20 grand on lights and nutrients and had already had an HVAC guy get it all set up. And when their pallets of stuff arrived, they said to me, okay, great. So where do I get, do I get my seeds from you? Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Didn't even have a line on genetics. Hadn't even read a book. Yeah. People who had $50,000 into, you know, to these places would be coming in with, just nit nitrogen burn and nutrient <laughs> lock. And I'm like, Ugh. I've got this $30 book. It's like a Bible. Right. Will you, you know, like, like, you know, and I've got it and I've got stuff flagged in the, the columns, right. right? It's a reference. And I said, when you, when you walk out the door with this clear X to clear out your, your nutrient lock, will you buy this $30 book? Nope. I'm good. I've got 20 grand into equipment with you 
and I'll just keep coming back whenever I have an emergency. Oh and my that's God. Like yeah. Not, that's like not proactive. It's yeah. not proactive management at how, all. How, like, come on. How many times did you have someone walk in and pull a leaf out of their pocket and put it on the counter? Hey, what's wrong with this plant? <laughs> Oh, totally, (laughs) totally. And then I have to have the conversation about how you're not allowed to bring like screwed up plant material into the shop because I don't know what it has. And you potentially just infected all of the medium in here. Now I have your problem and so does everybody else. So, you know, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks Thanks for for that. Well, I don't, well, well, I double bagged it. Well, did you wash your hands and change your clothes after you did that? Wipe the outside of the bag down with a, with a sanitizer wipe? Yeah. I I tell you what, I got so good at mitigating pests, eliminating aphids, spider mites, thrips. I mean, whatever else there is, any pest that you could carry on your clothes, you know, you work at a grow shop, you go home, doesn't matter. It, it, it does not matter how strict the protocol is. I I just got all the crazy stuff. So I got really good at solving problems and then first and being preventative about stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's that's the one downfall oh. about working at a grow shop is you're going to get everything. Yeah, you yeah, you're yeah. bringing it. I mean, you might as well just go roll around in a hay field yeah. and just and just walk into your freaking flower room every day but you know on like that, on that note with working at the shop was was good because somebody would walk in and they would say hey i'm having this problem and i'm in D- dwc hey i'm having this problem same problem and i'm in soil next person next person comes in same problem I'm having in cocoa and th- the remedies are different across the different the different uh delivery systems so it made me very versatile in understanding the different ways that it can be grown and then the different solutions that would have to be brought for those to remedy those problems. But I definitely had the guys that would come in and they would have, they would use us as their troubleshooters, which is fine, you know, fine right. for me. Cause I don't care. I'm getting paid whether you walk in the door or not, I don't care. But right. the problem is, is that I would say, okay, go do this. And they would come back, Two weeks later, and they would have the same damn problem. And I would go, well, did you do that? Did you do it the way that I told you? No. Okay. Well, Jesus, go go do that. And the, the guys that just would not learn, they just wouldn't learn, or they would try to spend their way out of their problems. And it's like. Yeah. You, they're like Ned Flanders' parents. I don't know if you remember the Simpsons episode where it's like flashbacks about how Ned's fam- Ned's parents were a couple of beatniks and they like put him in an institution because he was super angry oh, all the yeah, time. Yeah, That's yeah, why I he got the dota de Leo. Yeah. And like Dr. Marvin is like, have you, have you tried time out? And they're like, no. Have you tried uh, the corporal punishment? And they're like, no. Have you tried locking him in a room? And 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 Flanders' dad goes, no, man, that's what we're saying. We've tried nothing, and we're all out of answers. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's it's just so frustrating. Um, you know, that that was definitely one of the things that was like super frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I had older folks who, I mean, you know, I mean, my dad's age. You know, my dad would be shoot pushing. My dad would be pushing 80 right about now. 
And um, these people were talking about how they just pour their nutrients fresh out of a court right oh down gosh. a PVC pipe that leads oh. to the root, the bottom of a hole they dug. <laughs> and, you know, it's and again, it's, and it works great. Yeah, I, it works yeah, great. The their th- friends think it's, it's the best weed they've ever had. The yep. Yep. Every time. And I've yep. met I've met the best grower in the world about 10,000 times, by the way. And it's anybody who walks into a grow shop and has grown one plant. I, I swear to God, the egos, the egos in cannabis. I don't know how there's any well, space in the universe for the for the size of egos there are. It's insane. Right. So, like, if we 10,000 view that, too, okay? Like, if, if we take, like, that statement and we, like, 10,000 foot it, like, that, I think, is kind of one of the running problems with guys like me who are trying to get out of the legacy market and into this other market. Like... You know, if, if you and I sit back and like, I'll be the first one to admit, like on the, you know, as a grower on the scale of, whoa, shit, to whoa, shit. I was like, whoa, shit. Right. You know, like this is, you know, this is pretty good. You know, I mean, I wasn't like top tier, a plus cannabis cup winning grower. I certainly hired some and employed some for the Kalamazoo store. Certainly learned a lot. I certainly put out a very good product that always tested clean. But was I in that upper echelon? No. But I'm perfectly capable of it. Do I have the knowledge? Do I have the skill set and things like that? And the understanding? I totally do. Well, am I your lead grower of a 3,500 plant facility? Absolutely not. Well, see that. Okay. You know, couple, couple notes on that. And it's so much of this, at least in my role in the industry is evaluation. More often than not, we're asked to basically have a conversation like you and I are having right now. And it's, it's shop talk. It's two mechanics or two chefs getting together. And you know, when, when two people that can speak the same language get in a room you can do it within a few minutes. You can, and we're not having any technical conversations and it's not a, a, a dick measuring contest, but it's, you can tell no. where people are and then go, okay, well, this person would be, this isn't your lead grower, but this, this guy could be a team leader based on his, his personality and things like that, which is not really my thing. The, the psychoanalyzing is not that I, I just evaluate skills. I don't, yeah. I, I don't care if the person's an asshole or a people person or not. That doesn't matter to me. All I care about is, can this person fulfill this technical requirement? Yes or no? So right. there's that. And it takes it takes one to know one. And so that's that's just one note on on that. The next thing is ego is <laughs> ego is fine and everything. And there are people that could there are people that could have the biggest egos in the world, like uh like Marcel. He's the most winningest cannabis grower in the world. He's over in Detroit. <laughs> And the dude is the most chill, humble guy ever. He just, he's just like cool. He just, but he could be the most, he could be like Kanye West of marijuana if he wanted to be, but he's not, he's just like, whatever. And so, you know, the people that seem to run their mouth the loudest are the ones that are the most inept. And I'm (laughs) the, the, as as far as the, the spectrum, I've got three, three consecutive cups sitting on my mantle right next to me. So, I've run the full spectrum, but I can tell you the pathway to that, to that top level, 
I have killed more plants than I've grown, at least for mm-hmm. the first three. Tell, I used to tell my staff that I fail more in a week than than you do in a month. And and just, oh yeah, you know. So it's so, it, it, it it's just how much how much fuck up can one absorb, and then how quickly does a person learn? And and right every time every time I would buy a piece of equipment or try like separate off my deep culture line and just run four plants on a, on a different res and try something new. Every single time I would say out loud to myself, well, I've spent more money on dumber, you know? (laughs) Well, but the nice thing is, is that about working at a grow shop and this is advice that I give to people. and, And I want to dive into this with you is what I've been saying is, I am skeptical of the classes because I, because I connect job seekers to cannabis employers, I get asked by different companies if I'll sell their products. And I haven't found one yet that I would even entertain because I have questions. You know, if, if, mm-hmm. if it was John from Horizon Hydroponics teaching classes, I would sell that shit in a fucking minute because I know, oh. I know it, I know it. Other people, I go, okay, well, what's your background? Who are you? What's your story? What's your deal? And if the person was like, yo, I sold pounds of weed for the last 20 years. We had a gorilla grow up in the mountains and uh, I grow the truth and the fire. I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Let's let, let me look at your curriculum. This is a person in the know. They may not, may not present well as far as in a traditional educational way, but they, they have the knowledge and that's all that matters. But what it is more often than not is people with education backgrounds or people in HR and they are, are, are they take them, they take a, an aggregate of all available knowledge on the internet, which is its own issue. And then they repackage it and they don't have any experience in cultivation or in operations whatsoever. And then they in turn sell it to people that don't know the difference between a, a John and a whoever. And to me, that's something that we've, we've taken on the project of starting to go through and evaluate these different curriculums and putting our opinion out there about ones that are good, ones that are bad, ones that are predatory. Yeah. There, Oh my God, there are so many predatory ones. It's alarming. The thing that gets me is that the education, the learning never ends. It's, it's always there. I mean, just because I got these little trophies over here doesn't mean that I know everything. And it doesn't mean that I want to know everything. I love talking to growers and I love learning different ways. So one of the things that I give, one of the foundational pieces of advice that I give to people is start your own grow. If you live in a state that, that you can grow, start your own grow. Just a couple plants, just to, just to get familiar with it. Yeah. Two, go to your grow shops. Forget about Facebook, all the arguments and the debates and the endless bullshit that is a Facebook asking a marijuana Ask a marijuana question on Facebook and see what happens. And oh, it, yeah. sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> so I say go to the local grow shops and become a fixture there and write your questions down and go and ask a grow shop. And a reputable one, Horizon Hydroponics, is a great source of knowledge. GrowCo is good too. Uh, and then, then, then the third thing, which is really where they should start, is pick up Jorge Cervantes or Ed Ro- or and, and Ed Rosenthal's books. Read them cover to cover, yeah. scribble in them, highlight them, take your questions into the grow shop and ask them and reread those books. I, I honestly, if I never, ever have to read Ed Rosenthal's book ever again, it'll be too soon because I read that thing so many times. I just, oh my God, it's nightmares how many times I read that book. 
And it's not a story. It's technical information. It's the most dry thing in the world, but it's, it's a, it's an encyclopedia of knowledge. So, yeah, yeah. I, I can't speak to buy a book enough and I can't speak to the idea that, um, even if you have a basement grow that you are now, um, I don't want to say a, to say a farmer, but you're now involved in agriculture yeah. and almost all agricultural practices are transferable. Like yeah. 95% of the agricultural practices that live out in the world in farming are transferable to what you're doing. Yeah. So like you're, gonna maybe end up reading a study on hydroponic tomatoes and or deep water culture watermelons or pest mitigation in potatoes i mean these things are applicable and transferable you know you may not think that something like a potato is something that you can learn from but if we take the idea of russet mites you right. know, yeah, it totally yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but on that note, though, think about you know, I started in 2009, I started growing in 2009, so yeah, pretty right there, right there at the early part of the gate. And yeah, you're with me. So, think about the world back then. And we registered our vehicles to my aunt's house in Battle Creek because the police would sit outside Horizon Hunt products and write down people's plate numbers and follow them back to the grounds right. and take their shit. And they, yeah, they, yeah. they, I mean, oh God, who is it? Uh, Maria Green lost her kids because they had to grow and they had a big court fight. I mean, this, when we started, you risked your life to do this thing. And mm-hmm. I never, ever told a girlfriend what I did. And if they started asking too many questions, I'd move on to the next one. I never had anybody over my house. Never in my million years did I ever think about saying anything on social media, but think about the advantages that people have now. One, if if you, if you walk up to a cop and you say, Hey, my neighbor, I smell weed over my neighbor's house. They're going to go, dude, get out of my face. I don't care. Back then (laughs) they would bring in, we met and they bring in the helicopter and the dogs and they'd kick in your door within an hour. So, oh, shoot. I have a buddy uh, from Grand Rapids who sold an eighth to an undercover cop. They kicked in his door with a no-knock warrant. He was holding his television remote control, and he got shot in the chest. Jesus. Yeah. And they found, like, a bowl and a bag of stems and seeds in his house. Yeah. Welcome to marijuana. Like, that's the heritage. Right. Yeah. So You know, and, and yeah. So thinking about... Now, and uh, I'm not nostalgic at all. Those days suck. And they ruined a lot of lives for sure. And fucked a lot of people up. And it's not okay. But thinking about now, when I say go to a local grow shop, read the books, start a grow. If you're in a state that you can have a grow, then start a grow. Two or three plants. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The 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 level of giving a fuck from the authorities is below the floor. They don't care that someone's cultivating, yeah. you know, I mean, you'd have to grow thousands and thousands of plants to get on anybody's radar. And let's be honest, someone who's just starting out is not doing that. So the advantages for people to learn couldn't be greater. And the last bit of advice that I give people is try to get a job at a grow shop. 
And, mm-hmm. and I think between those four things, even those three things, that's a pretty good way to get one's foot in the door if they have no experience whatsoever as a grower. But you know what? There's yeah. a, there's a company right, right here in central Michigan and they need mm-hmm. they one, they need a caregiver because it's part of their, it's, it's part of the compliance within the state, but also they need caregivers to come in and help them run their facility. They, this is a multi-million dollar facility. And right. you know, what gets me, I'm just ranting here for a minute, but this has happened consistently for the last year or so that companies will spend hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars building their facilities, designing all this stuff. And they'll know for the most part, they'll go, they'll know when their, when their opening day is, when they're going to begin operations and they'll wait until a week before they, they have plants in the ground and they'll call me and say, Hey Matt, we need 60 people next week. I go, what? <laughs> Who do you have? Oh, well, we've got our CFO, CEO, COO. And, uh, can you, can you, can you help us find an HR director? And I've got, you need an HR director and an entire fucking staff in a week. <laughs> Are you crazy? Like, what the hell were you thinking? And the skill sets that you and you and I have are so rare that it's, I had a conversation with a couple of guys yesterday and it's about this position. And I said, look, this would be a good company. I, and I have the prerogative to do business with people that I like. I don't do business with people that I don't like, or I don't agree with their morals. That's my prerogative. And I'm not going to send anybody. Right, no, anybody nor should you. Yeah, fuck that. So I like this company and they have a job description up. It's grossly underpaid. And uh, I talked to my buddies who are in, you know, that make medibles and things like that. And I said, hey, what would it take to get you to come into the fold and, and work at a place like this? Like, you know, insurance and things like that. And they're like, yeah. And uh, I said, okay, well, they're, they're offering this much. And everybody laughed because it was, it was 60% of what they're making now. And they're like, dude, yeah. I don't have to do all this other stuff. I don't have to deal with anything. I, and I could just keep doing what I'm doing and I, and make 60% more. Why would I come in? So there's a, there, there's an argument that I've been making across the board that these skill, these high skill positions have got to be paid enough to incentivize guys who can do the jobs to come in and do the job. And a way to do that is to vest people in the company. Give, give key people a piece of it because I tell you what, this is the trend. This, this is the number one trend. The best way to get talent in the cannabis industry is to steal it from your competitors. If, if someone is working oh, at a company, well, I mean that that's how it was in the hydroponics industry. You right. know, I mean, if you've got a if you've got a guy at another shop who is effing killing it, and right. he's one of the smartest dudes in town, and you've got an assistant manager that nobody in your shop wants, then you go offer that to him. Right. What are you making? Here's two bucks more. Right. You know what I mean? I mean that we had uh, a gentleman at Horizon named Barry. And that's how I brought him over from a different shop. And he went on to sales rep for, I don't know if you remember Growstone. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, he was their sales rep for Growstone and like lead sales rep. And now he is with current culture. Oh, okay. But yeah, if you've got a guy who's the smartest guy in town, 
you offer him a buck or two more. Now, that being said, like, if I had a nickel for every time I was on Glassdoor or any other type of employment site, even just looking at, for lack of a better way of putting it, normie jobs, right? Like jobs that are in the cannabis industry. Yeah. Everybody is looking for an intern that has a master's. Oh my gosh. You know, you know, what? You know what? <laughs> and like, like everybody's looking, everybody is like, um, you know, sales rep for Pfizer, uh, $60,000 a year, four year degree master preferred. Right? right. And it's like, um, in a lot of ways, I'm like, thank God I didn't dump $120,000 into a college education so that I could make like $25 an hour, maybe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe less when you figure that this is a sales rep at salary and you're never home with your family. You know, the, the, the challenges that I see in the industry right now are one, these job descriptions are just ridiculous. The, the things that employers are asking their employees to do could be parsed out into three other positions. Some of the salaries for some of these positions are not nearly what they need to be. In other words, if, if a person was savvy, they would take a position at, this, at a company, they would work there for six months, they would make connections, and they would go work somewhere else where they can get better, a better pay. So I think right. the pay is across the board pretty low at this at this point. And I think that the scope of work that's being asked is pretty high. And then job descriptions, as far as work history and experience history, I don't, people must be smoking some crazy shit when they are, when they're, they're saying the work or education requirement for some of these positions. And I said, okay, well, um, to find those people, you know, we're hunting Sasquatch and unicorns and we're doing it in bulk. And this, this isn't going to work like hire for attitudes. Forget about all this other, all this other stuff. That's not relevant to say, I want someone to come in at an entry level position. That's got two to four years experience as a, as a caregiver, as a grower. And I'm going to give you $30,000 and you're responsible for the entire cultivation of the entire, in the entire cultivation facility for the, for veg. And it's like, Oh, and PS, you're no longer allowed to be a caregiver because you're now entered right. into the metric system. And also can we want you to write our SOPs? And it's like, well, and that's something that I'm seeing a lot on, on LinkedIn too, through like varying conversations from just kind of reading the thread there. Are, I mean, how many, how many times are people going to hire someone to start up a grow and develop an SOP and then be like, thanks. See, ya. you're at a, You're in a, uh, an at will employment state. Well, yeah. And just think they're going to run it on like, the handful of dudes that they hired that got the SOP down for like three turns. Well, that's the, oh, that that's interesting. I don't think that we're at that point yet because the, the skill as a, as a commodity, isn't that available in, okay. in 15 years, they will be that, that may be able to happen right now. There is a, a dog fight between companies to just get someone who's competent to come in there and run their operations. You know, what right. is companies will come in and they'll, they won't proceed with the venture unless they've got some core people. And 
that typically is the money guy <laughs> and then some experienced executive team and then like their buddy or their their buddy's buzz buddy or their cousins who are the the growers that yeah yeah that's kind of the uh that is definitely the experience that I had at uh the at my previous employer yeah and the thing is is like there aren't a ton of those people you know we're seeing them out there now because they're the ones that have the licenses but the truth is is that mm-hmm. What I've experienced as well is people that have money that don't have the guy and they want the guy. And it's like, well, okay, but in order to run, I mean, in in order to run, let's say an even 3000 square foot facility, which would just be like a class A, that takes, I mean, that takes somebody that. And time in the water, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, there were guys that would come into the grow shop. I've been doing this for 25 years. Okay, well, talk to me about your facility. Oh, yeah, it's a 20 by 20 room. Oh, okay. Okay, well, someone who's been growing for 20 years in a 20 by 20 room cannot run a 3,000 square foot facility or a 10,000 or 100,000 square foot facility. The, the, the oh, number God, of years no. don't mean anything. So to find right. somebody who has that experience at scale and the time. Yeah, that's. That's exactly what I was going to say. You have to be able to work to scale. Right. And the idea of what concerns me a little bit is it's not manufacturing, it's agriculture. And so the only way to view this is holistically. It's an ecosystem. It's a universe. And for the most part, whoever the the lead grower is, the master grower is, is God. Because it is. In a way, it is. You can control everything in that world, in that universe. You can. That's your job. and I think that's part of the thing that is lost on maybe some of these uh, and, and becomes very, very, uh, you know, quickly recognized once the doors open is you're very much, I mean, you, you're, you're scaling and your manufacturing end is working more like the bedding plant industry. Yeah. I mean, I worked in the bedding plant industry for a number of seasons in Kalamazoo and did the lead grower water and, and do stuff? Yeah, he totally did. But that lead grower was like also in charge of 12 other people. Right. Because you're on three acres, four acres, sometimes more. I think ours was like a 15 acre facility. So you've got a guy who's in charge of two or three acres. Right. You know, and all those guys report to the one. And if you're having a problem on your two or three acres, then that's when the weed grower comes over and gets involved. Right. And that's working. And that's working to scale. That's, that's, we've got a guy make, we've got a guy who puts the dashboards in. We've got a guy who puts the, the engine in. We've got a guy that puts the axle in. Right. And then they all report to the, the shop manager. Right. And the thing is, is that it's unlike manufacturing, we're dealing with living things. And Mm -hmm. once something starts to come off, we can't stop the line and reset the tools. I mean, every dashboard isn't the same when you're in, when you're in bedding plant. Yeah, they don't, they, they, it never stops. And what will happen Mm -hmm. when there's, when there's a, a negative thing, it begins a negative cascade. And typically that cascades into other things too. 
when <laughs> when plants are locked out and they're unhealthy, then they have well then there you know there's other issues going on there one they're not eating two they're pissed and they're they're slowly killing themselves because of me and but also oh, yeah. once it seems like once things start to come out of harmony then bugs show up and then once the bugs show yep. up then every then all hell breaks loose and yep. it, the problem with this is that it's all in the operations where I, I remember distinctly, oh my God, I have never felt pain so bad as the times where I would do something in the garden and it would cause a disruption and I could see this wave of pain coming towards me for the next three months. And I would go, oh my God, I'm going to have a month <laughs> where this thing that I fucked up, I'm going to feel that. And then, yeah. and, and it's just like, and the problem is, is that Unlike manufacturing, where if the dashboards are not coming out correctly, we stop the process, we adjust the molds, and then we we run it. Okay, cool, everything's back into back into spec. Run it. No, no, it's okay. Cool. If we solved a lockout, or if we solved an overfeeding, or if we've solved whatever, then if we if we don't solve all the problems. Then we just have another problem that continues on and continues on. And yeah, then we're just shaving the dashboard to fit. Right. And the and the problem is is that the, and the Michigan market hasn't experienced this yet. And I think that a lot of companies are protected by the scarcity of availability in the marketplace because Michigan's Michigan's opt-in for medical is not even a have I think it's at 30, 30% or 29% municipal opt-in. And I think that we're at either 17 or 19% of recreational opt-in. That means out of the 1,200 municipalities, not even 200 of them have opted in for recreational when 64% of the population wanted it. So I think that that's protecting companies right now because of the scarcity and because there isn't that, that ubiquitousness in the market. I think that, companies are enjoying much more robust margin, which is a natural trend. This is natural. It's normal. But cannabis is all about efficiencies and maximizations. That comes from having a crew of people in, in the garden that know what the hell they're doing. The, the people that just have sheer numbers that, that aren't managing, that are not super cropping or fimming or scrogging or doing LST, uh, light stress technique, they're not maximizing their yield. They may win for now just by sheer numbers. But the problem is, right. is that over time, someone who may have a smaller operation, who may have a smaller expenditure, who has someone who has a higher skill set, could meet or exceed the yields on a larger facility that doesn't have those things. So when it when it comes to where should these companies <clears throat> put their, their biggest investment, it's in their people, duh, every time. Like you can always buy lights, you can always buy better nutrients, you always buy other stuff. Like that's that's not the difference maker. The difference maker is in the skill sets that run those things. I mean, look, I can jump in a yeah. race car and I can whip around the track. Yeah, cool. I can go fast, but I'm not Mario Andretti. If, if I could have a race stream, uh, would I have Matt drive or would I have Mario Andretti? <laughs> you know, what am I going to choose? So- it boils down to how do these companies incentivize people like you, people like me out there who have these skill sets to come on board? So my question to you is, 
in our LinkedIn conversation, you mentioned that you were looking for to work in retail. Why do you want to work in retail and not in cultivation? Um, well, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I've, I've, like I said, I worked in the bedding plant industry. I've done the small scale, um, you know, outdoor and indoor caregiver thing. I am perfectly comfortable in the idea that I don't feel that I could necessarily work to scale. I feel comfortable in the idea that I could follow direction from somebody who is in the know, but uh, I'm not built to haul medium around anymore. You know, I'm not built for some of those things anymore. I've always done well in retail. I've always done well in inventory controls and things like that. I feel like that in my relationship building skills are, that's really my skill set, if that makes sense. So let me, let me ask you this. What about concentrates? Are you familiar with concentrates and... Um, yeah, I worked in a very small lab in Howell during the like when caregivers were still doing it. I had some friends of mine who uh, a I forget the name of the system. It was like a twenty thousand dollar closed loop system. Okay, we had it set up in a barn and we're doing shit and butter and stuff like that. But again, it's a scale thing. And to be quite frank, I know. The guy that I worked with worked for a a Fortune 500 manufacturing company. I don't want to like divulge too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he was able to get through his company, get things like non-explosive fans and build like a explosion-proof room, do all these things. And I look at some of the companies that are – these businesses that have been run for out in California and Colorado since they've had their, their medical and recreational like distribution system set up. And these guys are running stuff in pole barns that are like <laughs> way less safe than me and my bush light drinking buddies were, were doing. Yeah. And I think that, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that's a misconception about the caregiver the caregivers in general. Yeah. There were the guys that were blowing up themselves up and just being idiots. But you know, the, the people that I knew were a professional class and they just shut their mouth and they just did their thing and you never heard of right. them. And you know, I think that's the case in every industry and in every group. There's always the people where you go, Oh man, that, these guys are just making it really easy to make us all look bad. I wish they'd stop. Um, but for, for the most part, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't agree yeah. with with the whole. Yeah, just a bunch of are idiots you, blowing themselves up thing. Are you plugged in on LinkedIn with a page called Blacklisted? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, like I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen them put up for like these companies that I'm doing this stuff for ten, fifteen years. I'm like, how are you less safe than I was than than we were? So there's a little bit of, of, of that. Like I'm not trying to deal with super critical gases or any of that type of thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've got an 11 year old. And 
you know, honestly, I, I, you know, having an 11 year old and having a daughter, a daughter, um, retail affords me the flexibility that I want so that I can be at my kid's soccer game so that I can be at her play doing that, doing sales rep work where you're able to schedule your appointments and schedule your showings. You know what I mean? Those are the things that, in my opinion, those are the positions that afford you the opportunity to be a 40-year-old single dad. Yeah. So there's a there's a company that is looking for someone like that for their concentrates. And okay. I just, you know, working in retail, like you being a bud tender is a fucking waste. I mean, seriously, I, you know, you're not going to get paid, you know, 15, 20 bucks an hour and you're going to be there more than you want to be. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, yeah, it's beneath I'm, your skills to be honest. I'm, I'm looking more for like compliance, inventory, store manager, store assistant type of thing. Yeah. Um, I've interviewed with a couple of different places that are based out on the east side pre-COVID, you know, and I'm just yeah. reaching out now that things are kind of opening back up and I'm seeing them start to post on Glassdoor and, and other arenas. Yeah. I try to be like, hey, remember me? And, you know, the 65 to 75K uh, a year. Yeah. How does you your... Know, um, uh, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears. How does your resume look? You know, I like to think it looks good. I had a friend of mine who does resume development kind of go through it. I have what I consider my long form, which is like all of my experience through retail yeah. and like storeroom coordinator work in the food service industry. And then I have my short form, which talks about, um, my previous semester, um, working at Horizon and my director of marketing at, or my volunteer director and director of marketing position with Hoxieville Music Festival. Fantastic. And that's good that you got a friend to look it over. If you're open to it, I'd like you to shoot your resume over to me because yeah. that's that's what our nonprofit organization does. And then if you're open to it, I'd like you to connect you with this employer after we look over your resume. Probably what we'll do is schedule another call and just go through your resume and, and make it specific for this job. Um, Okay. Between, between you and I, um, just kind of off the record, the employer, the employer was, I want nothing to do with them. I want nothing to do. Yeah. Nothing to do with them. Um, I, I was introduced to them. My cousin was one of their inventory, uh, control managers. Yep, okay. Um, she got me in touch with them. She had to resign her position because she was losing her eyesight due to due, due to diabetes. I so she couldn't I, she couldn't yeah. see the screen. She couldn't see the labels. So she resigned her position. They didn't let her go. She had a great like working relationship with them and one of their HR, I had applied for a position and one of their HR people reached out to her. She's like, actually my cousin, Dan cups applied with you. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, great. Well, we talked, I kind of got backburnered and then I started, I don't, again, I'm like all off the record here. Yeah. Um, I, I started seeing the conversations that were happening on some of the cannabis groups on yep. Facebook. Yep about about that flight that came in 
And part of the reason why I am no longer with is because they had some serious compliance issues that I was complaining about. And the straw that broke the camel's back with them was that I bitched about the nepotism and it gave them out loud and it gave them the opportunity to be like, that's a violation of company policy. We can finally get rid of this guy. Okay. You're, Um, you're not the only person that has had issues that that I've talked to. And yeah. And there's other things that I know about that threw red flags for me from day one. I I personally, my uh, nonprofit won't, won't accept, donations from them because I believe there's bad money. Right. And and not, not an illegal thing, but I just, I, I won't be tied to them as a brand. And then also there, are you know, th- there are things that they've done that I've seen publicly and that I've heard off the record or whatever firsthand that I go, Holy shit, this is not a good place to work. So um, no, it's, right. it's not, it's, I can tell you that much. Um, right. You know, I for the idea that like in the beginning when this whole thing started we were asking people who did dirt not to do dirt right so i try to leave space for for like everybody getting started regardless of the company that they come from a place where we skirt the law right so like I, I get that sometimes there is a forgiveness over permission thing and in the beginning, but there's also a point where it, there's also a point where you, you have crossed that ethical line. If that makes sense. Which is, which is the issue that I saw with, with that company that we're talking about. There's there, there clearly are, and I don't know anything about legal issues. I don't, I don't care whatever they're doing or not doing is none of my business. What is a concern of mine is some of the things that they've done are completely unethical. One, well, actually one there it's illegal. And then two is highly unethical and uh, I want nothing to do with them. And so I don't right. happily nothing to do. There are, you know, the, the thing about, being a caregiver and now with the MMFLA and, and Mertma, it, none of us did this to be criminals. I didn't do this because I wanted to be a criminal. I did it because I saw a, a legal, genuine opportunity for someone who had the balls to do it. And that I went, cool, that's me. I didn't do it because I wanted right. to be a badass or anything like that. I just saw an opportunity. It was It was the outside forces that made us criminals. It wasn't us. So there's that. Right. I, I will say, I will say the outside forces making it criminal, at least for me, when I was younger, being a younger guy, there is a little bit of a rush that comes along with that. You know what I mean? When you drive, like, got away with it. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not saying, like, that's what drew me to it, but I'm definitely saying, like, there is, like, there's a little bit of that that comes with it, I think, for, for at least for myself, you know, I always did it right as far as, like, the air quotes right, you know. I did good business. I developed good relationships. I didn't screw anyone over, or that that is the great thing about it, I should say. But there was a little added bonus of the the 
the thrill of the hunt, for lack of a better, you know, well, yeah, of, to of say lack of a better way of putting it. To say that it's not exciting is, you know, it's it's, it's not accurate, but also <laughs> the amount of stress and, and paranoia oh, yeah. and anxiety. There were days when I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a renegade. This is fun. And then the other 300 days were like, oh, my fucking God, I'm going to jail. Right. Uh, oh, I just got a gun stuck in my face for the third time. Like, oh, that was fun. Like, there's all this other stuff that is not fun. Oh, yeah. So with, with from, coming from, you know, legacy, which I like, coming from legacy into air quotes legitimate, you know, there's, there, there can't be a stigma. There can't be a shame. And I've, I've been asked this a couple of times where people are like, you know, I sold weed. Should I put that on my resume? And I'm like, yeah, definitely. And it's still very strange oh. to say, hey, you know what? You sold weed. You grew weed. Then tell everybody about it because that's what you're getting your job in. It's still very weird, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but but back to, back to this is, um, yeah. So if you'd like, I I can we can take a look at your resume, give you some, and focus it for this job, and then I can introduce you to these guys and go from there. I mean, I can absolutely give you a warm introduction. And if it's if it's something yeah, that you're interested that. in, then great. If not, then no skin off my teeth. Um, but right, right. Based off, based off what I can tell from your experience and your skill set, and then the things that you told me about what you want to do and work, and then what they, um, what they're looking for, I I, I see a a good fit. Conversations are going to be have to be had on my end with them about some other stuff. They're a little too generic with their role. I think you'd be taking on too much for this role really needs to be broken to three different roles, but you'd have the opportunity to either work as QC as to work into outside sales or to work in, in like in, in like a business development role. They've got these three roles tied into one and it's a, it's a directorship, but they really need to be, they need to be three separate roles instead of just one role. It'd be too much. It'd just be too much. But Right. Right. Yeah. Three. Yeah, a three role thing with really, really good communication between the three roles, right, or a right. three role thing that actually like yeah. reports to the our director who yeah. is handling the and, thing. And this, yeah, totally. This is a director position, and you report directly to to the CEO. So okay, you, you would be you basically be sub executive, or you could roll it into executive. I would roll it into executive and I'd get as many fucking perks as I could. Cause that's how I negotiate. Go for it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm happy to give you as many insights. I'm a neutral arbitrator here. I, I want you to get a job and I want them to get somebody who can do the job that they need done. So I, I don't, yeah, definitely. You know, and that's all I really want out of this industry too, is like, I actually had a handful of offer places at the same time. I had an offer from Loom. I had an offer from Herbology. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of talking to, but like wasn't getting too deep into them, you know, just about maybe getting into inventory. Yeah. And everybody was offering me 15 to 17. I worked as a consultant when he was uh, working for the city in the economic development area, mm-hmm. because these guys were like, the city was like, oh, we're going to zone this area. We're going to zone that area. And he was talking about it at a kayak group 
uh, thing we were at. I'm like, you can't do that shit there. And he was like, why not? I'm like, you're like right on top of a fucking church and a school, dude. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And I, he like named three areas and I immediately shot him down. He's like, how do you know this stuff? I'm like, cause these are all drug free school zones. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's like these yeah. are federal drug free school zones, homie. Like you are locking yourself out of so much property right now. That's yeah. like sitting fallow in these industrial districts. Like, he was like, well, I'd like to sit down and talk with you. And I pointed, we pulled out and I started telling him where to zone. Nice. So I reached out to him and he was like, look, I want to get you on board. I can't offer you this, but I can give you 12. Here's the thing. Our grow's almost done. Our processing center's almost done. We're going to be opening another store in like six weeks. Um, we're going for wreck as soon as the city hap- goes for it. We're the first We're going to have store manager positions, sales rep positions, quality control and compliance positions. I can't give you that money, but I can like get you in and you can be in the spot in like six months if you can take the sacrifice. Okay. And I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll, take less than I deserve for six months for this opportunity. They brought me in as bud tender. They immediately put me into a reception position. I sat in reception for like two and a half months while they hired all of these women to be bud tenders. They got them all trained. And then like a week or two weeks before Christmas, they laid off every female in the organization regardless of seniority that what? either didn't have an ownership sh- stake or whose family member didn't have an ownership stake. Why? Why did they do that? And then they brought me into bud tender. Their POS system was so screwed up at one point, they had me $200 over on my drawer over 20 customers. Wait, what? Two, my drawer was $200 over over 20, over 20 customers, which means at minimum, I, I took $10 per customer. Okay. I didn't provide $10 worth of change per customer over 20 customers, or I shorted a handful of customers more than $20 if their POS system is correct. Oh, okay. And this happened, and this happened multiple times, Matt. Gotcha. Multiple times. $60 $60 over 10 customers, um, $35 over like 18 customers. It's, and it was only happening to me on my drawers. Mm. Um, man, I've been in cash handling. And I mean, I used to work at like the Kmart cafe in like, high school and at a video rental store in middle school. I've had cash handling jobs my entire life and I had never been written up for a cash handling incident. Okay. Gotcha. I'm not going to say my drawer has never been over or short. Sure. In 40 years, I may have been a buck or two over here or there, Yeah. but to be consistently over that amount of money, that is a serious POS problem, which leads to, which calls into question diversion. Yeah. That just has deeper questions that it seems like it's a good yeah. thing that you're not there. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, it gave me a wonderful opportunity to learn how to not run a cannabis business. Oh, geez. When they the, laid all of those, yeah. when they laid all of those women off, they sat us down and had a meeting with us and they were like, we don't know how much longer we're going to be able to be open. Well, Hey, you know, <laughs> then the breaks, welcome to the jungle. And this is something that I've said many times publicly, and I'll continue to say cannabis is brutal. It's ferociously competitive and oh. it's, it's hyper unforgiving. If you make a mistake in cannabis, whether it's legacy or whether it's legitimate, you're going to pay and you're going to pay hard for a long time. It's, it's here, not a is a huge, here was a huge flaw in their system that they never even realized. Okay. They do their schedule through an app called home base. Okay. okay? And they pay us every two weeks. Yeah. Home base, our pay week would end on Sunday, which meant that home base would kick out all of that data to Kanamazoo on Monday afternoon. Okay. But all of that data had to be kicked from Kanamazoo to payroll vault by Tuesday morning for us to be paid when or Wednesday morning. Okay. Well, that's not enough time for your payroll official to audit all of the time cards on a vertically integrated company. Right. Even if right. part of your, you're not growing yet and you're just doing build out, you've got 20 guys on build out. You've got 25 people in the shop, right? right. You're not going to audit 50 people's time cards right. from morning to afternoon when it has to be turned in. Right. So anytime you didn't clock out, on the app and you like say you, because you can't clock out like once you're so many feet away from the store. Okay. So if you got in your car and got like a half a mile down the street and you were like, shit, I didn't clock out and you tried, it wouldn't let you and you'd have to turn around and drive back to the store. Okay. Okay. But if you with don't respond within a, by eight, if you're out at, and you don't respond by eight fifteen. It rounds you up to 845 and it sends you a message that says your time card has been adjusted by a manager. Well, everybody in that place is a manager. Okay. On the retail side, except for me and everybody else on the build outside was getting the same text. Okay. So they lost like thousands of dollars to payroll shrinkage yeah, gotcha. that was unintentional yeah. without ever even realizing it. Yeah, well, that's and that then is. they had to switch our payroll date out a week. So they paid us like a week and a half, like, like a week early. And then they were going to take it out of our paycheck to paychecks or whatever but they never told any of us until after they deposited the money like a week later. And all these people spent that money without realizing it was a fucking double payroll thing. Awesome communication. And then they were like, Oh, by the way, it's going to be a month before you get paid. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> things like that. I mean, that's super fucked. Things like that, you know, businesses like that are not going to stay around long. And the truth is, is the companies that are doing it right. It, they're just going to buy them for cheap. I mean, that's the truth. Right. And, and as far as from a cannabis owner perspective, yeah, the, there's first mover advantage. 
But if you're a first mover, you better know what the hell you're doing or else you're just chumming the water for the bigger sharks. So first is first is and biggest are not always best. Well, and sustaining whoever's first this year may not be around in five years. Right. <laughs> that And that's, that's what matters. It's not, nobody cares. Oh, you know what? The first year I was the biggest. Well, where are you now? Oh, we don't exist. I work at McDonald's. Okay, cool. Shut up. I mean, that, yeah. So, all right. So I'm going to circle back to this, this class that you took. So how long was it? How much was it to, uh, well, to do the certification? I, well, the certification itself is, uh, through green cultured is, uh, like 300 and some dollars. I think it's like $325, but the other end of it is you can sign up for, uh, their monthly subscription which was uh, $97. I live in a social equity area and a a friend of mine from another organization was like, actually we have discount that I reached out to was like, actually I have a discount code for people who live in social equity neighborhoods or towns and Kalamazoo is considered a social equity town. So I was able to get the monthly subscription for half price. Now okay. that include now the subscription includes all of their testing, which will kick out certificates, but there are like standardized groupings like dispensary technician, beginner grower, gr- indoor and outdoor grower certificates, master gardener certificates within that. I like to think I'm pretty well versed in cannabis. And for me, the dispensary technician course was a, just a really good rehashing of a lot of pretty simple, pretty basic things. It does handle some really good stuff as far as like checking IDs and how to do that. It handles some great stuff about COVID policies and how to keep things clean and sanitary. It handles some good things about overconsumption or dealing with and and maybe a an intoxicated patient or or a guest within your storefront. Okay, those types of things that I think are are really super helpful to anybody who maybe hasn't doesn't have any like bar or wait staff experience. It's very tips esque, if that makes sense. And then it also covers some just basic grow knowledge, understanding plant chemistry, stuff like that. It's it's a good course. I for if if it was my recommendation for green cultured, I and you have the time to just bang it out, I would recommend signing up for the subscription. The class I took was I think about twenty four hours in total. Um, and there are, there's free classes on the website and then there, and then there are individualized, the individualized courses where you get a certificate. And then there are the more, uh, course centric courses. And those give you a badge that you are able to link to your LinkedIn account. Gotcha. The free courses and the other and some of the other individualized ones that just provide the certificate, those are going to be part of the 
badge course. And what you'll do is you'll end up watching like those three videos for that thing and then taking like a master quiz off of those three videos. Each one may be 15 to 35 minutes long. Some of them are interactive. You will take that quiz. It kicks out a grade. And you're able to take the quiz again. So do you need Depending like a, do you need like a 70, 80% to pass or how does it work? No, no. Well, um, you don't need a 75. Well, I mean, you're allowed to stop at any grade you desire. Okay. At any score you desire. If you're allowed to continue to retake the test and the test will shuffle questions in and out as well as shuffle multiple choice answers right. that was my next question is how do i how do i cheat how do i game this like that was well, my, there are a couple my first different question. ways to game it <laughs> yeah there are a couple different ways to game it you know i mean i think i i mean again we come from a an industry where we've you know full of people who've always tried to figure out how to game the system for well, lack yeah, of a better but, way of putting but it I'm, right but just real so, quick so like, it's going to be done <laughs> it, it, there's no point in gaming the system because the problem is is that if fake it till you make it the realization that person doesn't know what they're doing is the moment they're in a garden and they have a certificate that says i know how to do this and then they don't right right you know <laughs> yeah. so, right exactly and then so, why are you I taking mean, the classes kind of... you know like why take the classes you're just gonna you have to learn it it's not about the certificate right. it's about learn the attain the knowledge well, and honestly, I mean, what I did was I, I mean, they, they give you a PDF booklet. So it's almost like an open notes test, gotcha. right? What I would do, what I always did was I, I, when I took the quiz, I would take the quiz twice without notes just to see how I would do. Gotcha. Right. And I, you know, would normally score anywhere from the, the 80 to 95% range which is respectable, right? Yeah. I did, however, continue to take the test until I got 100. And if there was anything I was like really, really hung up on, then I would look at the book. Because the reality of the situation is in the real world, it's okay to not know something. But it's like not okay to figure out how to know it, right? And like... If I have a question about something in the real world that I don't know, I'm going to look it up. Right. I'm going to so my book. I'm not wrong. I'm going to call my friends. Right. I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to take a picture mm-hmm. of a leaf and I'm going to go to my buddies. I'm going to be like, hey, dude, what's up with this? Right. There's like, there's no shame in asking. Figure it out. For, you know, to, and, and right. And, and, and asking for help. The shame is beating the head against the wall. Right. And not not figuring it out. Right. Exactly. So. So I'm okay with being wrong. Of course, I want the highest grade. And if you're going to give me the opportunity to continue to take the test, I'm going to do it until I get the highest grade, right? Yeah. But I'm also, you know, I'm going to take it openly and honestly and see where I set, right? And then I'm going to recognize these are things that I don't know. And maybe I, I take this test again. So if, um, as a person who has experience did you gain anything from it i guess the best way for me to put it would be it reinforced some of the knowledge that i already had 
Okay. So would it help um, somebody that doesn't have the experience and knowledge yeah. that you have? Okay. Yes. It is a pretty good crash course into just the nuts and bolts. Gotcha. Okay. The nuts and bolts. Like this is cannabis. This is how it's grown. These are the stages. These are the conditions. This is, this is how you harvest this. You know, I'll say that, um, they're, Discussion on concentrates sticks to primarily like hashing principles and tinctures. They make note of the fact that they don't go into depth on like critical extraction processes or butane or propane because of the worry that people will use unsafe procedures. Gotcha. Right, like they're not giving you like a crash course in that because they don't want you to blow the, your kitchen out <laughs> right. or your garage up. Right, yeah. I can respect that, you know, but it leaves a little bit of the manufacturing process of that out, which leaves a little bit of a hole in the education. I think okay. you know, are people using tinctures? Totally. Right. But hash isn't like a super common product that you're buying at a provisioning center. Butter and vegetable oils aren't like super common products. And there's not like any real talk about Simpson oil or how that's made. And I I feel like, like that's a pretty easy and basic, like, manufacturing yeah. like home-based manufacturing process that, that could have been extrapolated on yeah okay so that's yeah that's really good i mean thank you for sharing that i'm i'm going to reach out there's about four different courses right now that i want to reach out and see if they'll uh they'll have a conversation the the courses from one from another i think that from an employer perspective they probably recognize the effort of the courses right. more than the course themselves. Uh, right. You know, and, and, and the one thing that I, so out of the, the handful of places, none of them are very state specific with the exception of Rocky mountain cannabis consulting. And I haven't gotten into their, their courses yet because they're really expensive. Oh God. Um, there's, there's some and, that have been like 2,700 bucks. For one course. Right, right. For me to take all the courses that I that are state specific that I feel like I would benefit from, they're like three hundred and some dollars each. Yeah. I'd have like nineteen hundred dollars into it. And I'm not saying that because I haven't I mean I haven't experienced anything other than some of their online webinars that don't really have a like a quiz or anything. I don't know. It's hard for me to justify putting out that much money right now without knowing what the value is for it on my end. Right. Right. And the training um, should be something that should be covered by the employers. And yes and no. I mean, if, if we were to say that the, the, the training should be handled by the employers, then we're going to be stuck in this situation where 
employers just hire, you know, for lack of a better way, provisioning centers just hire the cute girl bud tender who really doesn't know anything, but we can train her. There is a certain amount of like training that people have to do on their own. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was thinking more of like a, I mean, a, a continued education or, or companies that provide yeah, credits exactly. and things like that. Like that would be nice. Right. Like how do we treat this as co- continued education? Yeah. How do we treat this as, as adult ed for lack of a better way of right. putting it? Right. You know what I mean? Well, we do that with certificates and badges. I'm definitely willing to shell out for something if I am getting something that I can wave around right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, I'm going to send you a, I'm going to send you an email. It's just going to be contact at rcannabis.org. I'll send you a message on okay. LinkedIn. Shoot your, shoot your resume over to us. You don't have to do anything to yeah, it. Definitely. Shoot that over. And then um, take a look at your schedule. Maybe I, I'm not, I'm not going to speak before I look at mine, but. Let's uh let's look towards the end of the week, maybe like Thursday or Friday. And uh, okay. I'm going to have you jump on the phone. Same thing. If you're willing to do the podcast, then cool. I'll have you jump on yeah. the phone. I'll be here, but I'm going to have you talk to my mom. She's the lady that uh, does all the, the resume reviews. It's what her, it's what her master's degrees in is what she's done for like 30 years. It's, it's her thing. Oh, awesome. And um, she'll walk, <laughs> bring, you'll need your laptop and you'll want to open up to the document on Word or whatever program it's on. And then yep. probably a pen and a notepad. And she's just going to go through it with you and just okay. make all the adjustments. What I'll do is I'm going to reach out to that employer. And I'm just going to give them a heads up that I'm going to be connecting you guys. So as soon as that's done, okay. then I can make a warm introduction and uh, send you over to them and, and see what comes from it. Yeah, that'd be great. I really appreciate it, Matt. Not a problem. Happy to help. That's that's what we're here to do. Thanks for the time. It was really nice shooting the breeze with you, and and it was really good getting those insights about green culture. So thanks, and yeah. I'll, I'll be in touch. So enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Sounds great. You do the same. It was great speaking with you too, Matt. Perfect. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that was a call with Dan, and uh, <laughs> that was a long one. But, you know, it's always nice for me to talk to people that, as he said, are legacy. And I like hearing from people that have kind of, that not kind of have, but have been out here in this and have experienced the evolution and the shift. I like hearing their stories. I like shop talking with them. I just, you know, these are my people. So I like talking to them. So hopefully you enjoyed that conversation and got some insights about green culture. I I give a little more merit to them, not not even looking at them yet, but the fact that Dan has a very similar background to mine. I know what it takes to work uh, at some of the companies that that he worked at, and it's good that that he's getting some value from it. But as I said before, it's really just about effort, and ideally, spending money on some sort of a, a curriculum you want to gain knowledge from it, and not just have it be like, "Hey, look at me, I'm trying hard." So I'm going to take a look at them and don't really have a time when I'm going to do that, but I'll reach out, see if they want to come on the podcast. And if you have questions then that you want to know about some of these curriculums, then you can send those to contact at rcannabis.org. That's contact at rcannabis.org. If you want to participate in the podcast, you have questions, thoughts, concerns about 
entering the cannabis industry, you just want to have a blunt conversation about what it takes to work in cannabis, you can always reach us in the after interview review of Dan. So we're going to do a follow-up with him. And I'm really excited, as always, to see how things work out for him. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Call. Don't hesitate to call or reach out to us. Contact at rcannabis.org or call into the hotline. And uh, we'll do everything in our power to help you get your cannabis career growing. This has been Matt Hoffman, and we'll see you on the next episode.